0: 25% of the Bible is prophecy. Prophecy about the end game, the end times. With amazing precision and accuracy, God spoke through his prophets. Whether you go to Isaiah 11, Isaiah 61, Matthew 24, Luke 21, the book of Daniel... Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 38, and the list goes on and on. God spoke about the end times. And it's not some esoteric rhetoric, some obscure wording about end times with incredible precision. God has predicted what would happen in the end times. Revelation 1 gives us a vision of Jesus. Revelation 2 and 3 gives us an assessment of the churches. Revelation 4 to the end of Revelation is all about God's calendar showing us end time events. Throughout the scripture we are given timelines. In the timelines arise the prophetic words of God about the next great event that is going to happen. When we talk about prophecy, we're not talking about that which scares us, but that which gives the people of God reason to rejoice. You see, we are people of the light. Prophecy is a headlight into the future, allowing us to know in advance what's about to happen. It's very basic. Oh, you can get very complex in the charts, in the timelines. But I want to tell you, it's quite basic, and it sums up in this one message. Jesus is coming, and we win. One preacher said, I have read the last page of the book, and we win. And may I add, thank God we win. You and I have the privilege, I believe, and I'm not setting a date, I'm just proclaiming as I study prophecy, I think we are part of a generation that is going to see the next great event on God's calendar and it is called the rapture of the church. Jesus is coming. Every sign and signal lets us know That he is returning and he is returning soon. Read, Read with me about it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Turn in your Bibles to that incredible passage. 1 Thessalonians 4 and we'll begin reading at verse 13. I'm listening to the pages turn and that blesses me. Are you ready? Verse 13 says, Brothers, We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Let me just pause right there and say, he's talking about those who die. And notice the wording he uses. They fall asleep. He's speaking of the separation of the spirit and the body. When a person dies, their body is placed in the ground. But the moment they die, the moment their heart stops beating, their spirit is separated from the body and they are in one Of two places. If you are a child of God, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The earthly bears the heavenly. Corruption puts on incorruption. Mortality puts on immortality. You see, we have a hope today that when we take our last breath here, we take our first in the manifest presence of Jesus Christ. Our faith becomes sight. Everything we've lived for, everything we've sung about, everything we've talked about becomes sight as we are in the very presence of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is why we grieve when someone that we love passes away. But notice what it says, but not like the rest of men who have no hope because we have hope beyond the grave. How do we have this hope? Verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. That is an amazing and powerful verse. We believe, do you believe this morning? We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus all of those who have fallen asleep in him. Wow, what a day that will be. Verse 15. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we are, who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, that's Acts 1. When he ascended, he, he says, as you have seen me go, I will come again in like manner. Jesus, the God-man, he actually ascended. That man is actually coming back. The one with the nail scars in his hand is going to split the eastern skies and he will return for his bride. (laughs) Hallelujah. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, notice this, with a loud command. Maybe you've heard it like this. And the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Notice there seems to be three things. When Paul is writing this, he knew all of those well-versed in Old Testament Scripture would understand what he's talking about. Because in the camps of Israel, there would be thousands, millions of people. And if they wanted to get the attention of the camp, they would sound a trumpet like a shout. That would gather everyone's attention they would sound the trumpet the second time, it would call everyone to assembly. And at the third sound of the trumpet, there would be this understanding. Strike the camp, we're moving out. With that concept in mind, Paul writes, so that they would totally understand what he's saying, that when there is the shout from the voice of God, it will get everyone's attention whether a person is in England, Arkansas, which there is actually an England, Arkansas, or over in London, England, when that shout is sounded, it will gather the attention of all the redeemed. And just behind that will be the voice of the archangel, and it will cause us to rise. There will be a gathering, an assembly, a meeting in the air. And at that trumpet call of God, it will be these words. The work is over. Put your weapons down, because there's no more battle to fight. Put your tools down. There's no more work to do. Strike the tent. We are going home. That. Is the power of rapture. We will be caught up. Don't ever forget that this is not home. Study the life of Abraham and you'll see him looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. I love his pattern. He would go into one community after another. And he had a pattern of, first of all, building an altar. And then secondly, he would put up his tent. He would build an altar and it would say to everyone around him, I have a relationship With Jehovah God. He would then put up the tent. It would say to everyone around him. I will not be here very long. I hope that you have such influence. That it says to everyone around you. That you are a believer. You are a Christian. You are not just a fan of God. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. And I hope your influence says. Though we have all of these blessings here in America, this is not home. No matter how much we work to try to make our dwelling a home, it is not a home. We are just passing through. We are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And at the sound of the trumpet, we're going to meet Jesus in the air, and we are going to the home that he has prepared for us. David wrote, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now let me say, when we get there, no more weeping, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more dying, for he will wipe every tear from our eyes and we will be in our heavenly dwelling place. Praise his name forever. Let me continue reading after that. We who are still alive and are left will be caught up. That's rapture right there. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And here's what we've just talked about. So we will be with the Lord forever. Next line is very important. Therefore, encourage. Would you say that word with me? Encourage. Encourage each other with these words. Let me be quick to say I have not shelved my brains when I talk to you about rapture. I'm not some escapist. I am a believer in the truth of God. This is one of the great doctrines of the Bible. Jesus is coming in what we call the rapture of the church. Oh, I look at my calendar and I, I have things on my calendar where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be preaching a pastor's conference in Sweden in, in June of 2010. It's on the, I have all of these things lined up. I want to tell you, look at God's calendar through the scripture. And there is an event on that calendar. It is the next event. And it is called the rapture of the church. Lift up your eyes and lift up your heart. Your redemption draweth Nah, Jesus is coming. And so we encourage one another with these words. It's comforting to know. Why? Because life is hard. Life is tough. And so we would say to each other, no matter how hard it gets, Jesus is coming. This is not all there is. We have hope beyond this day. We have hope beyond this life. In the New Testament, as the persecution would intensify, they coined a word that would express the fact that Jesus is coming. They would say, Maranatha. Just one word that meant Jesus is coming. And to encourage one another when they were going through persecution, trials, and suffering, they would declare that. Jesus is coming. We say things like this. I'm praying for you. You're going to make it. Let's put back into our language, Jesus is is coming, And when you hear those words, you realize weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Hallelujah. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He has delivered me, he is delivering me, and he will yet deliver me he has forgiven me he is setting me free sanctifying me and one day i will be delivered out of the very presence of this fallen world for jesus is coming jesus is coming no matter how difficult it gets if you're unemployed if you're sick if you are stressed out i preach to you today that jesus is coming it's not the end of your life you are not going down. I'm telling you, as a child of God, you are an overcomer. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There is going to be a great catching away of God's people, and we will forever be released from the limitations of this fallen world. Bless his name. See, it's, it's encouraging. If there's hope forever, then there's an infusion of hope for today. It's impossible to comprehend or to give ourselves to believing there's hope for all eternity and not believe in hope for today. The whole idea of saying Jesus is coming lifts my soul right now. It's not this attitude that I hope I can hold out. Well, I I wish that day would hurry up because today is not good. No, it infuses my heart. It lifts my spirit. It lifts up my vision from the temporal to realize that I am eternal and that the things of God are eternal. Jobs come and go. Those kind of things, they come and they go. But we aren't investing in that which is temporal. We invest in that which is eternal. Jesus is coming. It's motivating. It's not just encouraging. It is motivating. I want to tell you, we are to live right. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. May he strengthen your hearts... So that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father. When our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. If I believe that Jesus is coming, it gives me a sober motivation. Because anyone who has this hope purifies himself. Jesus could come in a moment. I don't say that to create fear. I say it to create a motivation to live for God. The Bible says redeem the time. The Bible says that what we do, we need to do it with haste. We need to do it quickly. We need to make the most of every opportunity. We need to be on mission. Are you hearing me today, church? Jesus is coming. We need to be about the business of the kingdom. No playing church, no going through unnecessary church games, but being a people that are missional, that are driven by the fact that Jesus is coming, and we want everyone to be ready to meet him. Oh, may it stir us up a motivation that comes that says to us, no spiritual sleeping. I don't want to create fear. I I want to create accountability. That we are on a road that ends in the presence of Jesus. But none of us know where the road ends or when it ends. Maybe Jesus will come before this day is over. By prophetic words of Scripture looking at God's calendar, He certainly could come before this day is over. Are you ready? I don't know when the last day of my life will be. So I want to be ready and I want to lead everyone I can to know Jesus. When we talk about the coming of the Lord, we often have fear. I can remember as a kid sitting in church, they would preach the rapture. It would scare the daylights out of me. Two will be working in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. I remember this. Flame throwing evangelist looking over at us. We were sitting as a group of young people. I was just an early teen and, and he looked over at the, and he said with such passion, there will be two working in the field and one will be taken and one will be left. Two will be grinding grain and one will be taken. I'm thinking, my God, I'm going to be the one left. <laughs> he looked at me when he said that. Oh my God. And that was a Sunday. If I'm standing before you right now, this happened on Monday. I was on the bus at the end of school, taking the bus home and I would get off the bus, go to my grandmother's house. I didn't know it, but there was a kid on the bus that had a trumpet. When the bus drove off, after I'd gotten out of the bus, that guy, he blasted the trumpet. I said, oh my God, oh my God. This is true. I ran into my mamma's house. She was nowhere to be found. I screamed her name. She had about five acres. I ran all through the, that. And she was nowhere to be found. I picked up the phone and called where my mom worked, 534-9010. And when I called it, I got a busy signal. <laughs> I thought the lines are down. Jesus has come, Planes are crashing. Scared the daylights out of me. And finally, about an hour later. My grandma drove up in the driveway. I bolted out of that house and said, "Mama, I thought the rapture sure had happened. She said, Ronnie, that's exactly the way it's going to be. You better live right. I, I don't say this to scare us, but I want to tell you, if you're not right with God, it will strike fear in your heart, and it should. So Ephesians 2 talks about grace. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved to eternal life. You don't have to wonder or worry if Jesus comes. If you're ready, you can know that you are ready. So when I preach like this, you get excited. You say, even so, come today, Lord Jesus. I'm ready to go. I, I'm wanting to go. The little boy's leaving Sunday school. teacher said to all the kids in class, uh, are you ready to go to heaven? It so freaked him out. He stayed in class. Had, he was shaking up. Everybody went, and the teacher said, what's wrong? He says, well, I want to go to heaven, but it sounds like you're trying to get a group ready to go today, and I'm not ready to go today. Jesus is coming. It's amazing. I've been preparing this message. And so I'm driving down uh, the Broken Arrow Expressway this week. And I see this bumper sticker. And it says, in case of rapture, this car will swerve as my mother-in-law takes the wheel. There will be two going down the Broken Arrow Expressway. One will be taken. And one will be left. (laughs) Jesus is coming. Some of you are thinking about your mother in law. Now don't pray for her. Pray for her. Pray God's grace. Jesus is coming, and may this be a motivation to live right. A motivation. To keep your hearts right before God. If you're not saved, to get saved. I've often wondered if we could somehow take someone out of hell. You know everyone who's died up until now, they're in one of two places. What if we could take someone out of hell for just a moment, out of the torment, out of the lake of fire, and have them come before us and take a microphone? What would they say? I think they would turn into the world's greatest evangelist. And with passion they would say... Choose the Lord. No one in hell would want anyone else to go there. They would say, choose the Lord. Choose the Lord. What if we could bring someone out of heaven? I think the only person more passionate in their evangelism than a person that somehow we could bring out of hell to tell us something is a person we could bring out of heaven who's experienced the joy of the manifest presence of Jesus who's experienced this place, this dwelling of God, I think they would declare, choose the Lord,
1: no matter what other
0: decisions you make, choose Jesus, for it's a choice, we don't need to complicate it, it's heaven or it's hell, it's Jesus or the devil, there's all kind of preaching, and we talk about how to do this, and how to overcome this, and how to build a certain kind of life, three principles, 21 laws. There are all of these different things, and it's all good, but don't complicate the simplicity of the gospel message. It's heaven or it's hell. There's no in-between. It's Jesus or the devil. Don't complicate it. Joshua stood at the entrance of of a whole new location. On one side was the mountain of cursing, On the other side was the mountain of blessing. He stood and declared to the people Choose you this day whom you will serve. It's one or the other. It's not difficult, it's not a confusing choice to make. It's one or the other. And he went on to say As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Make your choice, make your decision. Jesus has done everything imaginable to draw you, to declare to you that his grace is sufficient for you. He cannot climb back on the cross. He's done that. There's nothing else he can do to express his great love and his awesome mercy. Make the choice. Don't gamble on eternity. Every sign, every signal says Jesus is coming. Luke 17 verse 26, notice what it says. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. What were they doing? People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Notice what it says in verse 28. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. What is it saying? At, at the time of Jesus' return, life will just be going on as usual. We'll just be caught up in the busyness of our routine. Buying and selling, planting and building, just going along. And the voice of reckoning will be ignored. Just as Noah stood on the decks of that boat for 120 years and declared the truth of God, and people turned a deaf ear. So it will be in the last days. Every sign and signal is pointing that these are the last days. And when you sense and see the signs, you make yourself ready. Don't ignore it. As a kid, I would play outside, and toward the end of, of the day, my mom would come to the front door and she would call my name and tell me to come home. And often she would declare that supper is ready. And when I made my way to the house, often before even getting into the house, you could smell the aroma of dinner. Going into the house, you could see the activity and sense that supper. Was cooking and almost ready. And because you knew that supper was ready, you then washed your hands, you gathered at the table, and you prayed because it was ready. I want to tell you supper is cooking. If you look at the signs of the times, if you just take what God said would be happening at end of days, there would be famine, wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation. We've got billions of people going to bed hungry every day. We have This is the most dangerous world we have ever known. Jesus is coming. So wash your heart in the blood of Jesus. Seek the Lord in prayer. Gather yourself, because Jesus is coming. Let me try and bring this message to a close. Let me just bring a few thoughts before you, this being true. So what? Well, here it is. Hope forever and hope for today. No matter how hard your struggle, there's hope for you. No matter how difficult, there is hope for you. I would say this. No spiritual sleeping. Don't drift. Don't just be a fan where you you come on fair weather days. Be a follower of Christ. Where through the hard times and the good times, we are devoted to him. I would say this, God is faithful for all seasons. All the years I have served Jesus, I can tell you that he is faithful. He's faithful in the things that, that I understand and in the things of my past that I don't understand He was faithful when we took our little girl to have a biopsy and and, and God brought her through that. He was faithful at the tragic death of my brother. He's faithful in all seasons. For you, God is faithful. He's faithful in all seasons. And to the church, I want to say he's faithful in all seasons. Even at the last season, Jesus is coming. close by reminding you of that story I'm sure you've read or heard by now. The international chess player, along with a friend of his, was going through an art gallery, and they see this incredible portrait. The portrait has a chess game, and on one side is this character that appears to be demonic. On the other side was a king. The caption at the bottom of the portrait says, Checkmate, and it gave every indication that the demonic force, the devil himself, had won and the king had lost as that international chess player paused and was looking at the portrait, for some reason he just couldn't walk on. He continued to look and continued to look. His friend said, what's the deal? He said, wait a minute, this isn't right. He said, what do you mean it's not right? He said, well, they are either going to have to change the name of the painting or change the painting. He said, well, what are you talking about? He says, well, look at the board. It says checkmate. It says that the devil has won. But notice the board. The king still has one more move. When you study the flow of Scripture, it's captured in that very portrait. For Joseph, he was put in a pit and then prison, and it seemed it was hopeless. But the king still had one more move, and he ends up being second in command of all of Egypt. You find Moses standing in between the ferocious Egyptian army and the Red Sea. And it seems that all hope was lost. But the king still had one more move. You find Daniel in the lion's den. The lions are hungry. His life is over. He will be consumed because he has followed God without compromise. But the king still had one more move. David steps out on the battlefield, and Goliath is going to feed him to the birds of the air. But the king still had one more move. They take the dead body of Jesus off of the cross, and they place him in the tomb, and all of their hopes have been dashed on the rocks of despair. But the king still had one more move. There is famine. There is war, there is desperate times We are living in the end times In so many cases it seems that all hope is lost But I come to shout it today The king still has one more move For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout With the voice of the archangel And with the trumpet call of God And the dead in Christ will rise And we who are alive and remain Maine shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Let's give God, let's give the King praise today for who He is and what He's going to do. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Come on and praise Him this morning. He's the King of kings, He's the Lord of lords. That means hope forever, hope for today, hope for your marriage, hope for your career, hope for your kids, hope for your health, because the king still has one more move. Your life, your situation may be more desperate than it's ever been. I declare to you that the king still has one more move. I want to ask the prayer team to come and stand before you. And as the prayer team makes their way, I want you to hear these words. This is what God branded on my heart. The Spirit of God spoke to me over this week about people who are caught in the grip of giving up. The Spirit of God instructed me to preach the grace that will take us home. And if you can open your heart to grace so magnificent that it could prepare you for all eternity, then it can release you from the grip of giving up today. Don't give up, the king still has one more move. It could be your career, it could be your marriage, it could be your own personal heart toward God the lack of spiritual passion and spiritual life. But it has you in the grip of giving up and you want to throw in the towel. But today the Holy Spirit is infusing this place with hope. Hope beyond your despair. Hope that will hold you like an anchor of a ship in a storm. And as we declare these words once again about eternity, that there's no weeping, There's no fear, there's no pain, there's no suffering, no more darkness. May the hope of eternity sweep back around and provide hope for today.